Aloha, everyone. On behalf of Domino's Hawaii, we wanted to take a moment to thank our team members for working through these trying times. And we wanted to thank our community for not just supporting us, but most importantly, supporting each other amid this climate of change and continued uncertainty. It is difficult to fathom some of the recent tragedies that have occurred, but what we can do collectively is aspire to be better for one another. We don't want to disrupt this message by taking time to promote some meaningless special. All that can be found on our website or app. Instead, once again, mahalo for your strength and your character. And we look forward to our very special community here in Hawaii getting back to work and making the world a better place. And with that, let's talk sports. What's up, Jordan? How's it going, man? Time to warm things up. Our little pregame topic. I don't know if you saw this, but the Charlotte Hornets unveiled their new uniforms for the 2020-2021 season. Interesting, the timing here as we are still playing the previous season. But uh, the pregame question for you is, what would you say are the current best uniforms in the NBA? We're starting this off on a very serious note. Oh, absolutely. The uniforms are important. You got to look good, right? You got to feel good to play good. Uh, my favorites are kind of, I think it's the city edition, right? Every team has like a city edition jersey. Uh, those Miami Heat, Miami Vice, like pink and blue jerseys that they rock are just, they're as smooth as you could get. Smooth as you could get. Um, if, you, if you're going with just a traditional jersey, like an everyday jersey, there are a lot of iconic ones, right? Some of the old franchises haven't really deviated. Lakers, Bulls, Celtics, some of those. The Golden State one to me, with the bridge logo, I think especially on the all whites where it's just, that is iconic to me. I think that is still the, the pinnacle of, of sort of the traditional, you know, every game jersey, if you will, not some of these, you know, um, special edition jerseys. So I got, I got to go Golden State if you're, if you're pinning me down to that. But those Miami Vice jerseys, that's, that's good stuff. Those are pretty exciting, I will say. And I do think you have to include some of the alternative uniforms in the discussion because they're out there and they're game-worn, they're used. Like, I remember during Michael Jordan's days with the Chicago Bulls when they had that black uniform with the pinstripes. I thought that that mm -hmm. was fantastic. I have always been one of those – I love those black jerseys. Uh, I've been one of those guys that sort of loves that color scheme with the black base. And so, you know, as a Spurs fan, I love the, the black and silver uh, and a set of jerseys and uniforms that was just utilized recently, the Los Angeles Lakers, their Mamba uniforms, where they had the all-black jerseys and shorts with sort of that snakeskin pattern. I feel like that was maybe the best set of jerseys that we've seen. If we're voting on just one that we've seen here, especially this season, it's those Laker Mambas, man. All right, time to welcome you to the show, a latest episode of Let's Talk Sports with Kanoa Leahy and Jordan Helley. And our guest today is a good friend of the program. He is a Polynesian Football Hall of Famer, the first Tongan to ever play in the NFL. So he's a trailblazer. Vaisikahema, that's right, a two-time All-Pro in his NFL career, played with the Philadelphia Eagles and the Cardinals, is retiring, as it would happen, from NBC10 in Philadelphia, where he has worked as an anchor and reporter on television for over 25 years. So he is about to embark on the next stage of his life and just a really, really good human being uh, and a guy who wears 
his Polynesian pride on his sleeve, as you will hear in this interview that we're going to be playing for you here in a short time. Yeah, Vi's, Vi's always, he's so charismatic, right? He, he was built for that television role. Uh, he, he's not that old, right? Heading off into this next third phase in his career. It's kind of funny when, when we get into that part of the conversation, but uh, he's a guy who's got a tremendous amount of pride uh, in his community, in that Polynesian football community, and, and as important a figure as, as many others uh, in that trailblazing endeavor, um, getting to the NFL and, and all the work he has done. Uh, on the television side he, he's always fun always fun to talk to yeah and and despite his accomplishments and, and being such a well-known person I mean he is very down to earth and one of the most humble individuals that you will ever come across as you mentioned the charisma is obvious uh, there was this one story NFL films actually did a piece on it and basically it was this story recalling a time in the 80s when Vi was playing for the Cardinals and there used to be a group of kids that would hang outside of Bush Stadium uh, one of them was this kind of monster kid towering over the others who didn't have legitimate footwear. And so Vi took it upon himself to take that kid into the Cardinals locker room. And then he asked one of his teammates uh, for a larger pair of shoes for this kid. It was the first name brand pair this kid, who at the time was 14 years old, ever had. Uh, and that kid ended up being Barrett Brooks, who went on to play college football and basketball at Kansas State, went on to play 11 years in the NFL, uh, is now a broadcaster himself, uh, and the guy who later in life actually met up with Vi Sikahema again and asked him, hey, do you remember me? I was the kid that you gave that pair of shoes to, and, and they had a very sort of emotional and spirited moment. They are still very tight today, uh, and Vi has told that story many times, and, and so we didn't want to labor him with telling it again in the interview, but it was something that I felt uh, was necessary as far as recalling here, a story that epitomizes who Vaisikahema was. I mean, he would just do things for people uh, voluntarily, uh, unprompted. It's, it's the little things sometimes in life. <whistles> time to get to our game time discussions. Uh, and the NBA playoffs play on. You got the Lakers, Clippers, Rockets all advancing in the West. It'll be the Lakers and the Rockets in the next series. Clippers awaiting the winner of the Jazz Nuggets series, which at the time of this recording is headed to a game seven. On the Eastern side, you have the Celtics already taking a game one off of the Raptors while Milwaukee and Miami are getting their series started. Uh, what's the second round series that you're most looking forward to seeing play out here, Jordan? Yeah, I think it's that Milwaukee-Miami series. Uh, what the Heat did to Milwaukee in the regular season, uh, taking two out of the three matchups. That third one, I believe, came in the bubble um, where, Milwaukee, where Milwaukee looked really, really good, and I think hung like 130 on Miami, where the, the key to success for the Heat in, a, in an era, and especially in a restart that has seen astronomical scoring, right? Just, just all kinds of incredible offensive outputs. Miami's been the, uh, the grinder team, if you will. They've kind of been able to keep teams under their averages and, and definitely in a, a bit of a rock fight in that first-round series against Indiana, but, but what I think Miami brings, right, they, they play zone more than anybody in the NBA, and that's sort of the, the game plan any much, pretty much anybody tries to throw out the Bucks because you need about three layers to just stop Giannis from getting to the back it, uh, basket. And so I think Miami's sort of built that way. This isn't, they're not going to be throwing out a defense that they aren't used to, and they're as good at playing zone uh, as anybody in the NBA. So that, that defense, that tough-minded 
Eric Spolstra squad with Jimmy Butler and the rest of the cast of, of characters and, and sort of cast off some of those guys. They're, they're not afraid of Milwaukee. Milwaukee may be a little vulnerability we saw in the Orlando series. Some of those games were a little tight going into the fourth quarter, but uh, I, I think obviously their quality won out. Uh, but the team that gave Milwaukee the, the hardest time in the East all season was Miami. And so I think this is a great 1-5, one, one I think, technically matchup uh, between the, the Bucks and the Heat. So that, that's the one I'm looking forward to because I, I think Miami can legitimately give the Bucks a, a, a large scare here. Yeah, I would have said the Celtics and Raptors previously, but we actually have the privilege of having seen a game one play out. And I'm starting to wonder if the Celtics have some kind of psychological advantage over the Raptors, right? They clobbered them in one of those seeding games in the bubble prior to the playoffs. Uh, The Raptors just seem to be a shell of their former selves here. They were playing very good basketball until that game one and just had some awful performances individually from Pascal Siakam and a couple of other guys. Uh, You'd imagine the Raptors will bounce back and will make it a series. Uh, But uh, it does seem like the, the C's have sort of established a little bit of authority in that rivalry. Uh, I would probably switch it over to the West side. And and I actually think the Lakers and the Rockets is a series that I'm looking forward to seeing because it is vintage small ball a la Mike D'Antoni versus the Giants in the industry, uh, both figuratively and literally in the LA Lakers, right? You have that super tall lineup that the Lakers can roll out there with JaVale McGee and Anthony Davis and Dwight Howard and whoever they want to put in that front court. And then you got the Rockets who have nobody that's over like six, seven, and they're just taking and dropping threes left and right. Can the Lakers sort of keep up with the run and gun aspect of the Rockets? Can the Rockets keep up with the Lakers on the glass, rebounding offensively or defensively? By virtue of how different those teams are, the most interesting series to me. I'm not sure if it'll be the most dramatic Uh, You do have the Clippers awaiting the Jazz or the Nuggets. And I kind of think that that's an interesting one as well because you have between Utah and Denver, some of the young, studliest dudes in the league. Denver's Jamal Murray has gone for over 40 in three straight games, including 50 twice. You have Donovan Mitchell's dropping 50 burgers left and right. But these two guys are among this crop of young players, Luka Doncic would be included, uh, who have really showed out. Who? Luca is amazing, uh, just absolutely amazing. What he was able to do, especially after Kristaps Porzingis went down, basically with uh, uh, right Dorian Finney-Smith and Maxi Kleba, uh, like who you're not supposed to win games against the Clippers with those guys out there. Trey Burke was terrific, uh, sort of the little roadrunner running around out there, but they barely had Porzingis. Right, he gets tossed in game one there's a debate there and then basically didn't play the rest of the series with the sore knee and, and still was able to drag the Clippers to six games was still able to put up those ridiculous numbers with not a ton of star power help around him. Uh, you know, they're playing Boban Marjanovic, like significant minutes at center and they're running pick and rolls and he's dropping off dimes. Uh, he's as polished as any 21, 21 year old we've had, in a long, long time. And, and again, he's doing that. Uh, his ability to make teammates succeed, his ability to set teammates up uh, in proper spots on top of his ability to score, right? That's not even necessarily his best attribute, right? LeBron-esque, if you will, uh, I think is, is what sets him apart from some of these other dynamic talents. And we've had a lot of them, right? I mean, we talk about Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell, uh, but I think that's what sets Luca apart at that age, 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know where the cutoff point is when you go from being considered a young star in the NBA to just being like a star in the NBA. Like, how many years do you have to be into your career? <laughs> I'm not really sure about that, uh, what the line of demarcation is there. Uh, but I would say that the short list has to consist of Luca, probably at the top, just because he's just getting started on this thing. And uh, like you said, he is so multifaceted offensively with what he's able to do out there. I heard a comparison that said he was kind of a cross between Jason Kidd and Larry Bird. He looks slow out there, right? Just like Larry did. And yet he was always just able to get to where he wanted to get, mm -hmm. always was able to get the job done. And then his court vision is absolutely Jason Kidd-esque. So I actually loved that comparison of Luca being sort of a combo of those two. I think you got to throw Donovan Mitchell, who I think is, is almost a ramped up version of Dwayne Wade, to be honest, right? I mean, similar in, in style and size, uh, but a better three-point shooter, probably a better shooter just overall. Uh, that guy is unbelievable. Uh, and then Jamal Murray, who I got to admit, I have not really seen this coming. I didn't think coming out of Kentucky that he was like, that great I thought he would be a decent solid player but he has turned into an absolute juggernaut uh, but I think the guy that we would probably pass over just because you know we're focused on these playoff teams and, and recency bias and all this stuff Devin Booker's got to be in there right and I imagine he still counts as a young and up-and-coming superstar in the league uh, people will ask what about Zion Williamson I'm not sure if we have necessarily the sample size yet to put him on that short list. Physically, he's so overwhelming, but we got to see him do it for an extended period of time. And I think the injury question mark around Zion Williamson is something that is going to have to be addressed or disproven before we, I think, uh, decide to put Zion on the same level as a Luka or even at this point, a Jamal Murray, Donovan Mitchell or Devin Booker. Now we mentioned Luka, he mixed it up a little bit with Marcus Morris of the LA Clippers in that series with Luca insinuating that Morris may have stepped on his injured ankle on purpose in one of the games. Uh, and then the following game, which was the clincher, uh, Morris gets ejected from it after a flagrant two chomahawk chop to Luca, uh, who voiced some complaints about that afterward. Morris responded on IG by saying, quote, cry me a river, clips in six. What do you think about this situation and sort of this effort? It is, it is becoming more apparent by the Clippers to be the sort of bad boys in this current iteration of the NBA. Yeah, it's interesting to me, right? You had Montrez Harrell uh, with some choice words for Luca earlier in the series, and it really did seem like the Clippers almost, I don't know if it's consciously or subconsciously, realized uh, we, we need to chip away a little bit at Luca. and I'm not uh, endorsing sort of physically chipping away at him, but they did everything they can to try and get in his head because I think they realized, oh, this dude is really good. He is really good, and they needed to try some of the little shenanigans, some of the antics to get under his skin, to try and rile him up, to, to try and get him out of his game because a lot of the defense just straight up wasn't working, right? Because you, you've, got, you know, you've got Marcus Morris, who, who it's not like the first time we've seen him you know, try, to, try to be big-chested around guys, and, and Montrez Harrell for sure is a tough dude. Uh, but then you've got the Kawhi Leonards and Paul Georges, right, who don't talk much aren't anything you would consider to be, you know, borderline dirty or anything like those, those dudes, especially Kawhi are cold blooded for sure. When it comes to being a competitor, those guys kind of go about their business and then they've got these other guys on the periphery. And I'm kind of curious, does it, does this continue in round two, whether they play Utah or Denver in that next round, or was it just specific to the fact that, that there was this, you know, 
21 year old Slovenian just slicing and dicing them up. And they're like, Oh man, we gotta, we gotta try and, you know, check them a couple of times. And, and, you know, I think it was in a way kind of a sign of respect where it's like, they put a lot of effort into trying to knock Luca off of his game. Yeah, I think it's good for the NBA, though, to have sort of a team that embraces this persona of being kind of that that bad boy, rigid team. It is annoying. I think that's what you know, people will then develop a sort of love of hating a team like that, right? Because it is kind of annoying to see guys like Pat Beverly popping off a little bit, like as if, you know... Uh, it, it all of a sudden you get teamed up with Kawhi Leonard and it's like, oh yeah, we've been doing this the whole time. It's like, no, you, now you got Kawhi. And so that just sort of changes the whole paradigm. And I think that's good for sports. You got to have the villain, right? It's just like pro wrestling. You got to have the baby face, right? Easy to root for, good guy, so to speak. And you got to have the villain. And I think the Clippers are setting themselves up to be that villain. And we're talking about the Clippers here. The Los Angeles Clippers, who have about as, as non-enriched a history in the NBA as any franchise, and yet here they are, that swagger that they now suddenly have, and they're trying to plug in some of that toughness, uh, and, and it's interesting. It, it, it's going to be fun to watch and to see how it plays out here uh, in the playoffs. We switch over to the football field and uh, Fitz tragic for Fitz magic. Miami quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick appears to be taking some time off from the team after the passing of his mother. It was an emotional scene at Saturday's team scrimmage as head coach Brian Flores and Fitzpatrick walked off the field with an arm around each other. Uh, as for the football side of things, the season is scheduled to start in less than two weeks, Jordan. You have Tua Tonga-Vailoa and Josh Rosen, basically the two guys next in line. How would you approach the QB position if you were Flores and the Dolphins brass here under these circumstances? It's, it's tricky, right? And, and they, they say they're not sure if Fitzpatrick will be available for week one, as you point out, it's less than two weeks away from NFL football here, as crazy as that is to, to say. That Brian Flores has done such an incredible job of building a locker room culture in a, with a franchise that has been a bit in turmoil, with a franchise that seemed like it was very much tanking to get a Tua Tungle-Vailoa type of quarterback, trading away young stars, trading away Minka Fitzpatrick early last season to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then at that point, it really seemed like, okay, yeah, they do not care, right? They're, they're throwing this season to the wind. And then all they did was go out and play tough against everybody week in and week out. And so I give so much credit to Brian Flores, right? Being able to build that sort of competitive culture while also guiding along a roster that wasn't quite where you would want it to be to be competitive in the NFL. And so now they're in a situation, right? It was, it was an ideal situation. Ryan Fitzpatrick, Wiley veterans, won a lot of games in this league, has won a lot of games for that team with a lot of gravitas in that locker room. You let him start the season, maybe play it out. You allow Tua Tango-Vailoa to grow into it. Let the hip heal however, much necess however necessary it is to keep healing that. And now that gets ripped up right now now you're in a now you're at a crossroads if Tua is healthy if Tua is healthy and he has done everything in camp you kind of got to get this one right I, I think he's got to be your guy if I if I'm Brian Flores I think he's my guy week one if, if he is healthy and now there is a little bit of a bit of built-in excuse right saying hey we, we don't feel quite ready yet still a little bit more physically for him to get ready you could be, you could use that as the excuse to jo start Josh Rosen um, but I, I think if all things are considered and Tua is ready to go, I think he's got to be your guy if, if Fitzpatrick isn't back by then.
Yeah, that's a big if. They have to be absolutely sure and convinced that Tua is good to go for a game-ready situation in his rookie NFL year, right? Without a preseason, without some of those game representative reps. I think that's the scary part in this is even if you go with Josh Rosen, if he starts stinking it up and you have Tua Tonga-Bailoa there and all of the reports from camp, including comments from coaches and other people involved with the organization are saying that Tua looks good and is good to go and everything seems like he's fantastic, then that fan patience is going to run real thin real quick and then you start talking about the media pressure and some of the outside noise here and and potentially changes the expectation and so you're right the Dolphins have to get this right is it worth it to put Tua out there even if he is the best option at this point without a preseason without some of that traditional run-up are they putting him in harm's way and that would be part of my concern because I just want to make sure that they do right by Tua under these circumstances and don't put him out there in a situation where they are putting him in any way at risk. All right. Well, you were talking about the Dolphins maybe tanking for Tua last season. At least that was the initial appearance. Uh, Are the Jaguars tanking for Trevor Lawrence? Well, Jacksonville's doing some tanking things. They just waived running back Leonard Fournette. They tried to trade him, at least according to comments from the coaching staff. They got absolutely no takers for him. Uh, It's been up and down for Fournette. Certainly injuries have been an issue, some locker room stuff. But there's no denying the kind of work and labor force uh, he has provided for this team. His 666 rushing attempts over the last three years ranks fifth most in the NFL. So are the Jags just tanking for Trevor Lawrence, in your opinion? It seems that way. It sure seems that way, whether they like Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, whoever they like at the top of the draft. They've been trying to trade Leonard Fournette for a, for a while now, and, and it was kind of revealing Doug Marone. You know, he said we couldn't get anything. Fourth round, fifth round, sixth round, seventh round pick. Nobody wanted Leonard Fournette via trade, and maybe the rest of the league knew that ha- if they didn't give up draft capital, they were just going to cut him anyway. And so Leonard Fournette now becomes available on the free agent market. Has he lived up to being the number four pick? Eh, I don't know. He's been a workhorse for sure, right? They have run him uh, just about as much as anybody in the league. And that includes the, the Zeke Elliott's and the Christian McCaffrey's. Of course, McCaffrey drafted what four or five spots behind him uh, has been far more successful production wise. And I think there are a few options that were drafted lower that, that the Jaguars would maybe like to have a do over with. It's not like he's been a bust, um, but he hasn't necessarily equated to winning. You know, there's some issues on missed meetings and he had the whole fighting incident where they got rid of his guaranteed part of his contract. That's still under grievance. And so it may be good for Fournette. He gets a bit of a fresh start before the Jaguars. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're getting rid of some of these draft picks, right. And a lot of their draft picks within the last four or five years are no longer with them. They just traded Yannick Ngakwe the other day, finally, uh, it, which really did seem like he wasn't going to play for them again. Uh, by his choice. And so I don't know if they have the Brian Flores type of locker room that we were praising just uh, just previous to this with Doug Marone there, but uh, they're going to give it a shot to try and cobble something together uh, with Gardner Minshew leading the way, slinging it all over the place. But it really does seem like that 2020 is a wash for them and they'll, they'll take the best draft pick they can get. It does seem surprising that nobody would want to trade for Leonard Fournette, even if supposedly Jacksonville was dangling him out there for a not-so-huge return. 
I'm just not sure if how believable and viable that is. Like somebody would trade scraps for Leonard Fournette, right? I mean, hey, look, Leonard Fournette is a workhorse, uh, but he's a little bit of that Leroy Horde cut, right? Who once told his coaches, if you need a yard, I'll get you three. If you need five yards, I'll get you three. Like Leonard Fournette is that kind of running back. Uh, unfortunately, he has dealt with some injuries, but I can't imagine that there are no takers for Leonard Fournette in a trading scenario. So that's surprising to me. Uh, but you're right about the Jacksonville Jaguars. How's this stat? Their last seven top 10 picks, their last seven top 10 draft picks are no longer with the team. And so that tells you a little something about the effectiveness of their drafting. Uh, you mentioned they took Leonard Fournette in 2017 over the likes of Christian McCaffrey, over the likes of Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson. Now, in their defense, the Chicago Bears did take Mitchell Trubisky number two overall in front of all those guys too. But the point being, yeah, Jacksonville's drafting has been a bit iffy. And so it does sound as though they're just looking to start over from the very beginning and see if they can build up something and who better to build something around, at least in terms of the projection and the prospects that are about to come out of the college game than a guy like Trevor Lawrence. So um, yeah, it does seem like the Jaguars are just like, yeah, we can wave Leonard Fournette and not get anything in return, uh, which seems implausible under almost any other circumstance, unless you're thinking, uh, we want to get Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> Time now for our Domino's Hawaii main topping, and it is our discussion with Vai Sikahema. A lot of our discussion revolves around Polynesian pride and his association with the Polynesian Football Hall of Fame. Uh, he is a fixture in the week leading up to the Polynesian Bowl, which also coincides with the induction ceremony and celebration dinner for the Polynesian Football Hall of Fame. And you will hear that at, at full force, uh, his pride and his vision for people of Polynesian ancestry as it pertains to football and other elements of life. Uh, Vi, one of uh, our faves for sure. So let's go ahead and play that interview right now. Hey, what's up, Vi? How you doing, man? Uh, it's been a little while since we've had a chance to chat. Hope uh, you're coping with all of the craziness in the world here all right. Come on. So good to hear your voice, Brian. It's been, uh, what, since January. Last time I saw you, we were in the booth at Aloha Stadium, <laughs> our, usual, our usual meeting place, a little phone booth up in the uh, upper tier of uh, Aloha Stadium. And uh, it's always good to hear your voice, bro. Yeah, same here. Likewise. Um, what has always amazed me about those experiences doing the Polynesian Bowl uh, with you, it's, it's been really one of the, the great highlights uh, of my broadcasting career, but it always amazes me how connected you are to so many of the Polynesian players. Like in so many cases, it's like, oh, this, this guy's a cousin or, you know, I, I know this guy's family. Like it's unbelievable the connections you have. And, and sometimes – uh, there was a kid who's at Tennessee this year. He was a freshman at Tennessee. He played in the 20, must have been a 2018 game. Name is uh, uh, To'o, Henry To'o. That's right. I, I didn't even realize. So, you know, the, the name wasn't familiar to me, but his mother is my, is my first cousin. So it's her <laughs> married name. So I don't even recognize. But I see her at PCC and I said, hey, what are you doing here? She goes, oh, my son is, uh, is playing in the game. I go, who's your son? He goes, oh, Henry. I said, Henry Tautau going to Tennessee? She goes, yeah. I go, oh, my gosh. Yeah. He's one of the best players in the country. And, you know, so sometimes, you know, as you know, in Polynesian style, you show up to events. You don't even realize who you're connected to, who you're related to until you show up, right? So that's why it's always so fun to come 
to Hawaii because there's always, always people that you don't, you don't realize that you're connected to. You find out that your family and that's what makes being, being in Hawaii so fun with you, man. It's just such a good time. Yeah, you're right. That, that is Polynesian style. There, there's no doubt about it. And, and while the, the game hasn't been canceled or anything for this upcoming iteration, obviously there is a concern and fear as to whether or not it's going to happen uh, in 2021. But uh, certainly keeping the fingers crossed and, and, and hope that it does in some form. You know, Kanoa, as, as it is for you, um, it is one of the highlights of my year. I, I, and I know what's ahead of me. What's ahead of me in the next 45 minutes after I pick up my bags is, uh, is Zippy's on Nimitz, <laughs> Nimitz Highway. That's what's ahead of me. And there's nothing that makes me smile or feel more connected to the islands than stopping at Zippy's. And, uh, you know, my wife's going to get her hamburger plate. And I'm gonna get, you know, uh, you know, I'm gonna get the Terry plate, and then, you know, we, we go to the hotel, and, you know, we we eat our we eat our takeout at the ho- at the nice five star hotel. We eat our takeout from Zippy's. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that sounds like the way to go, though. It's better than a lot of the hotel food that you might be ordering, and for a much more reasonable price. Oh, I, I don't care what the hotel, you know. And, and look, it's we always stay at the Royal Hawaiian, right? It's the it's a creme de la creme hotel on uh, on Waikiki Beach, and we and the and the guys that are there, you know, valet, they always know, hey, uh, you know, that we're gonna we're gonna show up with our our bags and our takeout from Zippy's. They just they all just crack up when we walk in, you know, a couple of locals staying at a, at the nice hotel, but we're gonna eat takeout at Zippy's. <laughs> it's it's just you know the the whole week is just so it, it culminates with the game, of course, and. And, uh, you know, and then the, the induction ceremony at PCC, we had the big dinner Friday night. Um, it's just such a great weekend. And, you know, for the kids, um, our first group of kids from the first year of the uh, arriving in the, uh, they're arriving in the NFL this year, right? So it's, it's, Tango, it's a class that led by Tuatanga Bailoa and, um, and uh, AJ Epinesa. They're, they're all arriving in the NFL this year. I, and I see those kids. I've, I, you know, I, I've watched them play. I've gone to see them. They've come to see me. Kanoa, to a man, to a man, that that experience of coming to Hawaii, and playing and being and being a part of the Aloha Bowl is is one of the highlights of their. And, and some of these kids, are like, you know, like uh, like Tua, you know, won a national championship, you know, engineered a, a, a game-winning drive in overtime as a true freshman and yet they look back on uh, on that experience being there that week with their friends and the friends that they made man they it's just a great time and uh you know for us me me and you we get to see each other every year at it it's just such a such a you know great feeling of aloha and um you know just all the ohana that's there there's just so much love and so much goodwill that happens from it um we, we love it man yeah, it's it's established a pretty strong legacy already in, in the in its short existence, and and that accounts for the Polynesian Football Hall of Fame as well. Uh, take us through what it's like for you. You are a Polynesian Football Hall of Famer. You have a legacy as the first Tongan to ever play in the NFL, and to see what has been established, obviously behind much of the efforts of Maatanu Vasa and Jesse Sapolu, who helped to really get the ball rolling on this. But you're such a fixture 
in this thing. You MC that dinner every year. Uh, you are a, a huge focal point in that week leading up to the Polynesian Bowl. What is that experience like for you, just seeing where that has evolved? Come on, there's just so much pride in our community. There's just so much pride and so much love. Um, you know, and the things, the things that, we, that we love, you know, we're passionate about. We're passionate about, we're passionate about family. We're passionate about food. We're passionate about football, um, you know, and, and they all come together that weekend. And I think so much of it is celebrating, celebrating and honoring, cherishing the, the goodwill that Polynesians have created in this, in this uniquely American game. Um, you think about the, our history and our, the great players, um, and, and Jesse Sapolo and Ma'atanovasa, they, they didn't just help create it. They, they, they're the ones who created it. You know, we reached out and got some help from some guys who had, you know, business acumen and who knew how to put together, um, you know, the business model. You know, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't know how to do that, but we did. And we, we reached out and, you know, we have access because we played football. We have access to, you know, the people like that, um, you know, Phil Hetu and, um, and Kevin Kaplan and, um, and those guys who, who are already running the, um, the Black College Football Hall of Fame. And they already run the Navy SEALs um, uh, Foundation. And so this is, this is the work that they do. And they helped us put it together. But really the driving force is Ma'a and, and Jesse. And it couldn't have been more appropriate that those two guys are UH guys, right? I mean, quite honestly, with, you know, with all the legacy – of Polynesian players that we have at USC and, um, you know, and as far East as, as Notre Dame. And, um, you know, we, we have guys who are playing all over the, all over the, the country, but really it needed, honestly, it needed to be two guys from UH. That's the truth. I know UH is, you know, has, has taken a downturn in their program over the last few years, but, Honestly, I think when UH does well, I think everybody does well. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, I played at BYU and we're bitter rivals with UH. But we all recognize that because, you know, University of Hawaii is, is at the Mecca. It's where, for all of us, we all have connections in Hawaii. And we all, you know, all of us have come from Samoa, Tonga, or Fiji, wherever, New Zealand. We all came through Hawaii. And so Hawaii is a focal point. It need, you know, the Polynesian Football Hall of Fame had to be in Hawaii. And it just couldn't have been better um, than to have two UH guys who, who, who led, the, um, you know, led the program, to lead the program. And, uh, and, and it, has, it has fostered so much goodwill, Kanoa, that, um, you know, I, I live here in Philadelphia. And, um, I'm, you know, I... I haven't been this year because it's, you know, we haven't been able to go to the practices. But, um, but in, in previous years, I've talked to Eagles owner Jeffrey Laurie and their general manager, Howie Roseman. And they asked me about, you know, because they donate to, you know, they, 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 bought ta they buy tables every year. And they, they bought tables for when I was inducted four years ago. And they asked me about the Polynesian Football Hall of Fame. And they asked me about the Poly Bowl. They, they watch, actually. Um, you know, I, I haven't talked to you about that, but these guys, you know, they're, they're football junkies. Um, you know, Jeffrey Laurie 
you know, was playing fantasy football before anybody knew what fantasy football was. And, um, and, and so, you know, he, he made his passion for fantasy football come to life and then bought himself a, 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 a real team. <laughs> and, but, but, you know, but they're football junkies and they watch, they, they watch that game because they know that they're, you know, they're going to get players on their team from these games and, and they want to know, you know, they, they want to see them in high school before they get to college. They want to see them, you know, be, you know, when they, when they were just kids. Um, <laughs> but they, you know, they talk to me about the, the poly ball. They, they talk about, they talk to me about the experience and, and they want to know what it's like for the East coast kids and kids from the Midwest, what it's like for them. Cause these guys, you know, they, you know, they come to Hawaii, they, you know, they come to Hawaii and they live big in Hawaii when they come. But they want to know what it's like for kids who are in the inner cities. What's it like for them to come and, and, and experience your culture? They, they're so interested in that because they know what our culture does. You know, the other thing that that speaks to, uh, Kanoa, is they have the most profound and the deepest respect for our people. And, you know, I know it's their wish. It's their wish. I mean, they can't, you know, they can't line up 53 Polynesians on one team. But they, they, they literally wish it that all of their players had the kind of, the kind of heart and, and not just the heart for, you know, being playing tough football, but the kind of heart where, you know, they're soft off the field. You know, the, the kind of guys that are, are just really they, – they love that about Polynesian players. They, they love the warrior uh, players who off the field are just, you know, soft as marshmallows, you know. And, and that's that, – you know this because you you know you've covered, you've been around you know Polynesian athletes for years and years. But they know that you know and these guys don't get in trouble. You know they rarely get in trouble. Every now and then, you know, look somebody gets a brush with the law. That happens. But by and large, most of our guys are upstanding. You know they, you know they're they're easygoing. Um, you know they 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 do charity work in the community. Um, you know they they don't get in trouble. They're just good team players and, and and they're great in the locker room because their teammates love them their teammates love polynesian players they're just fun loving and you know they they never cause trouble um so at any rate that's 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 just why our our week is so important because we got we have we have to celebrate that we have to encourage that and because these kids that are coming up they're in high school now it's better to teach them now and help them now help them see what it's like you know what you can be the baddest, toughest dude like, you know, Jesse Sapolu and play, you know, in all these Super Bowls and win, you know, four or five championship rings. But you know what makes Jesse, Jesse, you and I know this because, you you know, we've known Jesse for, you know, 30 plus years. What makes Jesse Sapolu Jesse is just how kind he is. It's just, you know, what, what a good, kind person he is. That's what makes him Jesse Sapolu. You know, hey, everybody can be tough and then, you know, slap people around on the beach when they, you know, you know, all that nonsense. No, what makes Jesse Sapolo Jesse Sapolo is, you know, guy opens doors for people. He, you know, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter to Jesse who you are. You know, he'll, 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 he'll stop and talk to you and he'll visit with you. And, and, uh, you know, if, and if, if he, if he's met you once, he'll remember you and, you know, he'll know your name and, um, and he'll know your family and, 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 you know, Matanubasa is the same way. You know, Matanubasa is coaching uh, at, his, uh, at his alma mater. Um, and, you know, Ma is just, just as nice 
Ma'a is as nice a person as you will ever meet. And it's hard sometimes, you know, for people to, to, to understand how these guys can be so nice, so kind, right? You know, you know what I'm getting to. And they get on the field and they will rip your heart out <laughs> with their bare hands. <laughs> you know, Avaya, I think that's the, the beauty of what has evolved, right? The Polynesian Football Hall of Fame kind of honors the past. The Polynesian Bowl celebrates the future. What do you see the future for Polynesian players or Polynesian individuals in the game? I think we're seeing it more and more where, where folks of Polynesian ancestry are, are getting a legitimate shot at, at quote-unquote, you know, leadership positions within the football hierarchy, whether it's guys like Tua and Marcus Mariota uh, getting starting quarterback jobs in the league, whether it's guys having success as college head coaches, uh, you know, Kenny Niamatololo, Kalani Sitake at your alma mater there in BYU. That, I, I think that's something that is continuing to grow, getting guys in those decision-making positions, not just sort of sidelined to the trenches or, or sort of in the background, but, but, but guys in leadership positions, which I, I'd imagine is, is something that, that you've got to take pride in and, and something that we'd, we'd love to see even more of. One of, one, of my, one of the themes that I have when I talk to kids, and especially the high school kids, but I say this to the college kids, and it doesn't matter whether we're at Alabama or we're, or we're talking to kids at junior colleges, one of the running themes that I always say to them is don't, don't work for football. Don't work for football because football, football is like a jilted mistress. When you, it, you, football will break your heart if you rely on football. But if you, if you make football work for you, football is, will be the, the, the gift that keeps on giving. But here's what's going to happen. We haven't gotten there yet. And, you know, but we're, we're behind, you know, the African-American community and this, but you know what? And rightly so. They, you know, they've been in the game much longer than we have. And, you know, they have, you know, 70% of the league, I think, is, is African-American. We have a much smaller piece of the pie, but we still have a piece of the pie. And that piece of the pie that we have, part of the, 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 one of the reasons why we exist is to make sure that that piece remains with us and that we, that we cherish it and we honor it and that we take care of the piece of pie that we have. So in coming years, what do I see in the future? I see guys working in the front office, but we need guys to be smart in the classroom. We need guys with, you know, with business degrees and law degrees. <laughs> um, there's a kid who went to BYU from Laie, Kahuku High School, named Mark Atuayam. He never got to the pros, but he got his degree at BYU, and he's coaching. Uh, he coached at BYU running backs, and he's now with Bronco Mendenhall at University of Virginia. Now, now, why do I bring him up? I bring him up because Mark Yatuaya got a law degree at BYU. BYU is a top 40 uh, law school. Mark Yatuaya, when he finished at BYU, he floundered. He was, you know, he was valeting cars at a local hotel in Provo. And then he came back to Laia, worked at PCC. I don't know if he was dancing night show. And he, he was married and had two or three kids, just floundering. He decided to, you know, get his life in order get his degree. He got it at BYU Hawaii. And then he applied to it and he, he, got, he got into BYU Law School. The reason why I bring that up is that it's significant. I, and I've been telling Marky for years, Mark, 
don't stay in the coaching business. We need you. You have a law degree. We need you to get out, get out ahead of the curve so that you can reach back and help, help guys. It, and the only way you can do that if you're in a managerial position, if you're a GM, if you're an athletic director, that's where you can help. That, that's where you can help us. Let's start at the GM level. Let's, let's get guys in management positions. Let's get guys who are, you know, director player personnel. Keep working towards that, and, and we'll get there. You know, it'll take some time, but we can get there um, because we have so many guys, and, we, and we're so well-respected in the football community. People who love football, who know football, they know our history, and they know our people. They know who we're about and what we're about. And, um, you know, so that's, 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 my, that's my goal. That's my hope and my dream, really, you know, for all of us that, uh, that we see that day come to fruition. And then, of course, you, you need guys to, to cover those athletes or guys in leadership positions, right? And, and you kind of took that mantle. Uh, kind of wild to already think that, that this chapter may be coming to an end, right? As a, as a TV anchor, uh, I understand that retirement is on the horizon, but uh, what kind of pride did you take? I mean, that, even that role that you had was a bit of a trailblazing one uh, as a Polynesian man, as a Tongan man, uh, working in a major city on, on broadcast news. Um, you know, what, 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 uh, what do you recollect on your career as, uh, you know, you kind of transition into the next phase? I, I was horrible in school. I, well, I tell these kids to work hard in school. And the other thing, I guess, in, in part of my sermon to them is, look, you don't have to be the smartest one in school either. Because um, there's a lot of smart people in school who don't have drive, who don't have work ethic. I had work ethic, but I, I, I wasn't very... I was, maybe I was like some Polynesian kids who just didn't do very well in school. And, and, and honestly, quite, quite honestly, part of that had to do with the fact that we immigrated when I was seven. They didn't have an English uh, as a second language program in the schools. They, nobody had even thought of it. So I sat for the first three, two or three years that I was in public school um, and not knowing what was going on. So my, so as a result, my, um, you know, my, my academics was, you know, lagged behind and I never really caught up because by the time I got to high school, well, the high school coaches were just interested in making sure that I was eligible. So they, you know, they passed me along and got me in classes where they, you know, where coaches were teaching the classes and they can just, you know, I didn't have to take the test. And if I came home with, the, you know, if the homework was late, it's all right, don't worry. You know, and so I was kind of passed along and, and, but um, I got to the NFL and you know what, it's, it's the, there's there's a there's a gene that all Polynesians have. We have a survival gene that is so strong, and and you guys know what I'm talking about. Polynesians will figure ways out wherever they go. They'll figure out how to make a living, and I figured out how to make a living just because you know what, um, you know I can talk. Uh, I you know I would MC the our, our our luau's when I was a kid and learn how to get in front of a microphone, guess what? They came in handy by the time I got to the pros. They put a microphone in front of my face and asked me a question. I do just what I'm doing right now. I, I just talk and talk. And so pretty soon people, man, that guy can actually talk. He can put sentences together. Um, then they put me in front of the camera. I wasn't scared of the camera. I was more scared of catching punts at, you know, Aloha Stadium on a windy day. Um, you know, there's, what, just talk in front of the camera? Yeah, okay, the red light comes on, you talk. When it goes off, you stop talking. That's it. That's all I got to do. All right. I can do that all day long. You know, the point is we, we can figure out ways. We can figure out 
how to navigate our, ourselves in whatever areas we get into. I, I figured it out in, in media. And, you know, there, uh, I will turn 50, I just turned 58 earlier this week. So I, um, this was a good time for me to walk away from television. I've done everything I wanted to do. And plus I wanted to come back, you know, start heading out west. We, we didn't want to retire here in the East Coast. We don't have any family here. We have tons of friends, but our kids are all out west. Um, what I hope will happen in my life, um, I feel like I've still got, you know, 20, 30 years of good tread on my tires. I know this, I'm, you know, for the next year, I'm probably just going to play golf, uh, sleep in, uh, maybe get fat or, you know what? Or the other thing I might do is I might come to Hawaii and just go, you know, get a little piece of land up in the mountains and, you know, just, uh, you know, hunt wild boar and, you know, live off the land, no electricity, just fish make poi well he can't make he can't make rice yeah because he can't plug in his uh his, his <laughs> rice cooker so got to figure that out but yeah bro that's uh that's that's these are my ideas for my future bro that's that's what i spend my nights doing thinking about stuff like this <laughs> i think you can steam the rice on top of the fire somehow i think you oh can you can pull that off. you just got to make sure that you uh, allow yourself to still participate with the broadcast of the Polynesian Bowl, even <laughs> if you're living in the mountains. Like, you can come down with the full beard. Uh, you can come down uh, unkempt. But we need you on that broadcast, buddy. <laughs> Bro, you know who I just described to you? Fala Nico Nonga. I think Fala Nico's like living in American Samoa on a mountain someplace, and I think he's doing exactly what I just told you, bro. Uh, you know, that's, that's my boy too, from St. Louis Cardinal days, man. Uh, yeah, he, he might be, I think he might be doing that. Well, Vi, uh, you have been such a role model for so many. You have always carried yourself with an incredible amount of humility and self-deprecation, despite the fact that you are certainly one of the pivotal trailblazers, uh, within the Polynesian football culture and what you have done as a member of the media and an on-air personality over there in Philadelphia is absolutely remarkable. Uh, and I just uh, feel very fortunate. I, I speak on behalf of Jordan as well uh, to be able to to talk with you in this way and uh, looking forward to doing it again uh, sometime soon. You're the man and congratulations on your retirement and, and best of luck with wherever life takes you. You deserve it. Hopefully it's Hawaii. Love you guys. And uh, Kanoa, you're the best. You are the absolute best. Uh, none better. And uh, Jordan, good to hear you and uh, talk to you guys and uh, look forward to doing it again, guys. All right. Take care. Bye. All right, time for our post-game best and worst brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii Maui's premier full-service refuse company offering various sizes of dumpsters and roll-off containers for commercial construction and residential use. Family owned and operated with over 40 years of service to the Maui community, Waste Pro Hawaii is committed to customer service and responsible waste management. You can visit wasteprohawaii.com for services information. And let's get to our first best. What is yours, Jordan? Yeah, my best, uh, I'm going to go with uh, our guy, Kurt Suzuki, the Baldwin graduates. Uh, the Nationals have not been the best in their follow-up to winning the World <laughs> Series last year. They're in last place in the NL East, although crazy enough, they're only like three games back of the second spot in the division, which would get them into the playoffs once again. And don't let the Nationals get hot. We know how that goes. Uh, but they're 12-19. and 19. Again, they're not very good. Steven Strasburg's on the shelf right now. Uh, trying to get healthy, but Kurt Suzuki quietly hitting 286 on the season. The dude turned 37 in October uh, and has an 11-game hitting streak right now. 
Yeah, that's amazing, dude. At his age, at this stage of his career, it seems like his hitting is only improving each and every year. Uh, and it is also pretty amazing that the Nationals are worse than my New York Mets because the Mets have just had an atrocious season. It's hard to get excited about Major League Baseball just because how incongruent it has been thanks to the COVID virus. And you have all these teams that have played just a fraction of the total games that other teams have played. There's just such an inequity there. It's hard to get excited about Major League Baseball. I find myself being more interested on an anecdotal level like what you're talking about, Kurt Suzuki and his hit streak. We hope uh, he keeps it going. All right, uh, my best. I don't know if you saw the ending of this past week's PGA Tour event, uh, the BMW Championship. John Rahm drilled a 66-foot putt on the playoff hole to claim the tournament title. It was a crazy sweeping 90-degree downhill angle putt, which came moments after Dustin Johnson, who's still number one in the FedEx Cup rankings, sank a 45-foot snake putt on the same hole, which was number 18, to force the playoff. Rom would go 66 and 64 over the weekend to win the tourney. His only bogey coming after he absentmindedly picked up his golf ball on the fifth green Saturday without marking it. We've all been there. I mean, just an amazing finish to that tournament. John Rom, the Spaniard, has played on Maui at the Century Tournament of Champions. Uh, that was just exceptional to see those kinds of bomb putts on such a difficult green. The announcers were talking before Rom's attempt. They were saying this is going to be one of the most difficult two putts in his career. And he goes ahead and drops it. Uh, just amazing stuff. Yeah, how do these guys do it? You know, I've been playing a little more golf. Just get, you've got some free time. It's a great outdoor activity. At least we still can here on Maui. Um, the, the, these guys are incredible, incredible. The, the, the putt highlights that were all you needed to see from the tournament. I would have putted it off the green. Oh my gosh. It's one of the most thrilling finishes to a golf tournament that I've ever seen. And I don't want to hear it from you, Mr. Multiple holes in one. All right. I don't want to hear it that's from the you. Best, that's you the either. best way to not putt. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Let's get to our worst. Uh, I'll start with my worst. And, and my worst is basically some of the individuals we've lost this past week, losing Cliff Robinson, who was a huge part of those great Blazers teams in the 90s. Chadwick Boseman, a guy who played Jackie Robinson in the movie 42. Uh, and his passing came on the day where under this revised schedule, Major League Baseball was celebrating Jackie Robinson. Uh, also a guy who played Black Panther, and so I think LeBron James was among those who pointed out we lost the Black Mamba and Black Panther in the same year. Bleep 2020 for sure. We also lost a pair of college basketball coaching legends, Lute Olson and John Thompson. Olson coached at Iowa and Arizona where he won a national title in 97 with Miles Simon, Mike Bibby, and them dudes. Uh, also coached countless notables, Steve Kerr, Richard Jefferson, my man Corey Williams, who we're looking to get on the podcast in our next episode. Uh, Thompson, meanwhile, he was like a literal giant in the coaching industry. Coached four Naismith Hall of Famers in Patrick Ewing, Alonzo Mourning, Dikembe Mutombo, and Allen Iverson. Was the first black head coach to win an NCAA basketball championship in 1984. And he was also always able to speak his mind. He opined on social issues, questioned certain NCAA rules and regulations. Uh, he was not a guy who held back. So my worst is the sad news of all those individuals and their passing. Uh, but it also allows us to recall the impact that they had, which is uh, sometimes a great thing as well. All right. So hopefully your worst is a little lighter hearted. Come on, Jordan. Do it for us, baby. <laughs> Mine's is definitely more flippant, uh, <laughs> without a doubt. It is maybe no less encouraging, or no more encouraging, I should say. <laughs> but uh, I, I, Oahu has undergone a surge of COVID cases. 
I think it's no secret <laughs> to those here in Hawaii, um, even those on the mainland who pay attention. And so they, they've rolled out this great plan, right? We're going to test like 60,000 people in 12 days. And it, it's the Surgeon General was in Hawaii. And it was, all right, okay, yeah, let's, uh, all right, this sounds like a good course of action. Except uh, labeling may have been uh, a bit of an oversight. It was just in the news where they, they're encouraging over a thousand people who took tests over the weekend to get retested because of mislabeling. Apparently, they didn't label the, the samples correctly uh, and they just have to throw them out. And so it's just, if you were looking for some encouragement, it uh my my encouragement level went way down it's like they forgot to label them what they did they write the guy's name on each little sample like what's going on yeah that's really disheartening uh this is just a difficult process and it, it hasn't helped that some of the things that we have attempted to execute to improve the situation like what you're talking about um haven't gone so well so we, we, we hope for the best on that front that things turn around and look a lot better uh, really across the state, but certainly on the island of Oahu. That's our best and worst brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii, Maui owned, Maui operated for Maui's people. Thanks once again to Vaisika Hema for joining us. Hit us up on Twitter if you have any comments at Kanoa Leahy, at Jordan Helley, at TalkSports808. Jordan, until next time, have a good one, bro. Have a good week, man.